Welcome to episode 208 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Lovin. Today we caught up with Josh Brewer. He's currently the co-founder and CEO at Abstract. Before that, he was a designer at Twitter, among other things. Principal designer. Like, <clears throat> like he was Excuse in, me. He was in charge of all the teacher designers. He was the principal designer. Very friendly. At Twitter. We had a blast catching up. Uh, this is we're we're slowly working our way through the abstract uh, team lineup here on the show. They've got a good lineup. <laughs> They've got a good lineup. Pretty strong. Uh, so it's a long time coming to have Josh on the show. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsor who made this episode possible. Uh, our sponsor again this week is Shopify. Shopify is growing their design team. They've already got 180 plus designers in UX across five offices all over Canada and here in San Francisco. And they want you to join them. They're hiring designers, content strategists, researchers, and UX leads. Uh, they're looking for people from everywhere to apply to join their awesome team that's growing. Really narrowing the field there. Very specific. Everywhere? Yeah. Generally from Earth? I would say if you're Canadian and are willing to live in a Canadian city and slash or are willing to live in a Canadian city, uh, maybe your chances are improved. There's also San Francisco. There's also San Francisco. Shopify is absolutely killing it right now. It's pretty unreal. We've got a bunch of friends that are working there. And the last few weeks have just been a storm of improvements. Overhauling You could say a their- blizzard. Like, like a Canadian storm, basically. One might say. One might say. I mean, but at least they've got Polaris to weather the storm. So they recently redid their entire design system called Polaris. It's just a snowmobile. Implemented it's- it into their entire product lineup. They've redone their entire illustration system. Uh, and Friend our- Meg fucking killed it. Oh my God. So good. So first of all, you should go check out what they're up to. If you just search for Shopify UX anywhere on the web, uh, you'll find their, their info. That's including Twitter, Instagram, Medium. Also, ux.shopify.com is a great place where you can go and see what the team's up to. Uh, absolutely killing it with the new releases, working on really important products that are helping small businesses around the world be successful on the internet and offline. And they're hiring, so they're hiring design leads, especially, and they're exposing all of their management and leadership learnings around design, which is a really cool thing. Like they're they're exposing as much of that as they can, which is one of the best things I think teams like that could do when they're when they're growing a huge team. That's not something a lot of people get access to. If you are interested in that kind of stuff, you can find more at ux.shopify.com. Uh, if this is a team or product or company that sounds interesting to you, they want you. Go to shopify.com slash careers. Again, they're looking for designers, content strategists, researchers, and uh, UX leads. Huge opportunities there. Again, that's at shopify.com slash careers. Go check them out, see what they're up to. And if you need a job, this is a great place to start. Thanks once again to Shopify for sponsoring the show. And with that, let's get into episode 208 with Josh Brewer. Oh, oh we're already going. All right. We're going. Good deal. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Brewer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and who's please, please don't use that. Uh, hi, my name is Josh Brewer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Abstract. I'm also the husband of Dana Brewer and father of Ruth and Dylan Brewer. Uh, and I'm here talking to these lovely gentlemen this morning. So Abstract's the new show on Netflix, right? That is totally correct. That's crazy. I didn't know you could CEO that. I I, I didn't. Actually, Scott it, Dadich. It's a fancy term for executive producer. That's, ah. Well, Scott Dadich, uh, who, if you're listening, Scott, hello. Um, oh, it, Scott it, does listen. Yeah. Oh, I'm not surprised. He's a good, good dude. Scott's um, our number one fan. Leaves all the comments. It's all great. of them? Yeah, all of them. Mm-hmm. He tweets 100% us. Of he comments. tweets us every episode. It's getting weird now. Um, no, but Scott, uh, I've known him for a little while and I found out that they had released this and it was called abstract and we had a bunch of people reach out real quickly and they were like, abstract did you guys out. put together a, a movie or like a series <laughs> you know, about us like, with hidden cameras? Yeah. And I was like, mm, nope. <laughs> oh, 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 asking you. So teeny bit of overlap there, but Hey, it's all good. Uh, what is the real abstract? The real abstract, uh, that's probably key Not tip. TM. The real abstract TM. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not these posers over no, at Netflix. No, no. no. Uh, actually, love what they did with that series. And uh, I think the more that we can yeah, yeah. you know, do stuff to shine a light on the process and how, how it actually gets done is super valuable. Um, 
Abstract, the company that I run, is uh, bringing version control to design. So it's uh, for those out there listening, version control uh, is the ability to basically track changes to documents over time. Uh, a lot of our counterparts in engineering have had this as a basic workflow for uh, 30 plus years. Yeah, I can't long. imagine writing code without GitHub at this yeah, point, right? Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. Um, and design is kind of basically languished and been living with like some of the most acrobatic file uh, structure uh, gymnastics that you could imagine, right? Like naming conventions and folder conventions and conflicted copy uh, dances and all this stuff. And we just have been very adept, mm -hmm. shall we say, um, at managing how we get this done because we didn't have tools to do it. And uh, I tried to solve this a couple of times uh, at other places that I've been and Due to the binary nature of the file formats we work with, it's, mm -hmm. it's just been impossible uh, up until recently. And um, I'm really lucky. I've got an incredibly intelligent uh, and creative co-founder, Kevin Smith, who uh, disappeared for a week at one point and came back with a working prototype that made me, you know, realize, hey, um, I think we need to do this. <laughs> and, uh, and he's also been on this podcast. He has been on this podcast. Um, and so that's... That's what we're doing. We're trying to bring a version-controlled workflow and uh, to design and give it a proper platform where the process and the way in which we do the work can be more broadly shared and accessible to the rest of the company because we fundamentally believe that the more people that can be at least aware of uh, the design process, the more uh, feedback we can get at the appropriate time, and the more you can involve Excuse me. Wow. <clears throat> the more you can involve. It's choking you up. Yeah, I'm just getting all <laughs> choked up. super emotional. Uh, the more we can involve more folks mm -hmm. in that process, the richer the output's going to be. The more diverse the input, the greater the output. And you guys had a big week last week? Two, uh, two weeks? Tuesday will be two weeks since so we launched. So three weeks ago when this comes out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we launched, uh, came out of private alpha into our beta and had a great, great reception. You literally did it the day you said you would more than a month earlier. I've never seen that before. I'm very proud of you guys. Them timelines. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I was like, <laughs> so it's going to be like 10 days later at least, right? Like, nope. nope. Right on the dot. I was like, holy shit. I've nope. never seen that kind of release before. Well, it turns out if you put a date on the calendar, this team tends to uh, want to hit that date. Nice. And uh, it also is a little messy if you slip past that and then all the things that you had in place uh, suddenly have to get pushed and all that jazz. So we, um, to be totally candid with you guys, we ended up not shipping one feature uh, because it just wasn't quite... <gasps> how dare That's you know? how they did it. They cut down on the quality. Yeah. No, we cut they down scrapped. on the quantity. <laughs> <laughs> what feature did you cut? I can't tell you yet. What was the decision to cut the unknown feature? Um like was it it, was, it, it was, just wasn't quite battle tested like it was pretty much done but nobody had used it yet and so this didn't feel quite comfortable okay. uh, rolling it out so those things in particular can be like really hard for a team to like decide to do because it's usually someone's baby like someone is like no i need this feature to be out for the release like yep. let's push yep. the release so i will i will give a huge shout out to andrew mcleod uh who is the engineer on our team that's uh leading that effort and he was busting his ass to get that thing done and just like pushing super hard and then we kind of all had a conversation which was we've barely used this mm -hmm. we haven't let other people use this yet like maybe just maybe we should wait mm -hmm. right like we want to put out quality software. We want to make sure that anything that we release has value immediately and allows people to do more than what they were doing before. And so we had a conversation and uh, thankfully Andrew agreed and said, yeah, like there's, there's a few things we want to, you know, kind of polish mm -hmm. and we want to get this into some folks' hands first. And so um, actually we might as well just talk about it because we're going to roll it out pretty soon. Cool. So the feature is called Collections. Okay. Uh, collections are essentially a, a really easy way to present work uh, okay. from within abstract. So mm -hmm. if you've used abstract or even if you haven't, um, there's this concept of committing and committing is kind of like taking a snapshot of your work over a period of time and adding a little bit of detail to it. Um, and that record kind of gets captured. It's also how we detect the changes that have happened since the last time you made a commit. And so you end up building this history of the work over time by making commits. Uh, the, great thing is that that allows you to commit all of the changes you made. 
The downside to that is, as designers do, sometimes you do lots of stuff all at the same time. And so it can be sometimes tough to like make sense of what's in a commit that you should be paying attention to. And so collections is a really simple way to grab screens or artboards or whatever from different points in time and put them into a collection and order them so that you can kind of tell a narrative story. Mm-hmm. And it's shareable on the web. Anybody that has an abstract account and that, you know, is part of your organization can log in and view it, leave comments and feedback and all that stuff. But it's just a really lightweight way of focusing in um, okay. folks. Our developers already are in love with it because it basically allows you to, as a designer to send them, hey, here's the flow, mm-hmm. right? And they can step through the whole thing, have a conversation about it, leave feedback, iterate on it, yep. rinse and repeat. So One of the things I'm noticing sitting here listening to you talk, like, a lot of these are technical concepts, or at yeah. least they come from the technical world, like commit and version control and stuff like that. But you've gotten your language. It sounds very precise in the way you describe the features. Has I, that been a long time coming or... Is it has it been natural for you to describe these more technical concepts? I think that um, I clearly I've had to put some work into it. Um, early early on, one of the things that we made a, a hard uh, decision, which was to not change the language. We had a lot of people mm-hmm. that we interviewed early, kind of just doing research and stuff, that were like, "Oh, I don't think you should use commit or branch. No one will understand that. They're we actually never, we had a huge argument about this uh, at Figma when we were doing components because we use commit, push, and pull, I think. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time now, but we had a huge argument about that. Yeah. it's And, and it's there's some legitimate points on mm-hmm. both sides of it. For us, at the end of the day, one of our overarching goals with, this, uh, with what we're doing is to bring design and development closer together. Yep. And I can't think of a worse thing to do than to literally take a concept and then call it something else and then try and go have a conversation with someone who knows what it is and knows what it's called, but now you're using another name. I mean, if I was a developer, I'd be A, a little bit offended and B, <laughs> a little bit frustrated because like we already have the term named, defined, and, and well, like clarified. It almost feels I mean, a little I, bit arrogant because you're yeah. ignoring all the prior art. Of, I, but I also, they've been using this word for years right. and years and years. I think right. I would feel offended a little bit as a designer, like what commits too technical for me to understand? That too. That's that's the, too. So yeah. uh, we actually had this conversation uh, amongst ourselves where it was like, wait, we have a fundamental belief that designers are smart. Why are we assuming that they're not? No, they're capable of learning. Like, look at everything they've done. Like, most designers are incredibly adaptive and, like, constantly learning. So why do we think they can't learn this, right? Like, okay, get the terminal out of the way and get, Mm -hmm. like, writing terminal commands out of the way. Will there ever be a CLI? Oh. Maybe uh, <laughs> you won't ever say no. Like no, I, I, I mean that, we, but. we have some ideas around a CLI and an cool. API and stuff like that. But I just literally I don't have an answer for you right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I also think that like wanting to do it via the terminal when you have a really simple, straightforward interface is like um, okay, I, okay. Like I would not want to do that, and I'm hmm. super comfortable in the terminal, hmm. and so that's just my bias. I'll just call it that. Uh, Some of the other things around launching stuff that are like really hard, you decided to call it a beta when you're first launching to people. Does that mean you're not charging money? Is that how you decided to call it that or? Nope. Uh, What what does the label beta mean for you? Label beta means that it is beta software. Mm -hmm. Um, We definitely tested it during our alpha, but um, we- Rave reviews. Like everyone I've heard from has been like, holy shit, abstract is amazing. And uh, we thank you all for saying such good things. (laughs) Um, No, we decided to call it beta because- our private alpha was a private alpha, mm-hmm. and this is our public beta. Mm-hmm. Um, we are charging during the beta um, because we had a number of folks during the alpha chastise us for not like please charge us money and yeah. ask for money. Yeah. Um, and so we took that as a really great sign that a we had built quality software, and mm-hmm. b that people were ready to pay for it. Um, the beta t- uh, tag or label, if you will, is really about. The fact that like there's a few more things that we really want to do mm-hmm. that we consider to be uh, kind of vital to what the the 1.0 would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and along those lines, we also know that scale is something that's going to expose places that we just didn't know uh, needed attention. Mm-hmm. Or there's all kinds of interesting things that start happening in Git when you start putting really large stuff in there. And we've been discovering uh-huh. some of it uh-huh. um, to all of our <laughs> folks out there who've run into those bugs i deeply apologize and thank you for your patience i'm sorry for this 30 year old um, software <laughs> it's it's uh it's wild i mean it's like 
were making it do stuff it wasn't technically, mm-hmm. you know, uh, designed for. And if you go to GitHub, they'll even tell you like the large binary file check mark or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, LFS is their solution, yeah. and it's like it's okay. Um, it still doesn't do what you know we needed yeah. to do for our design files. I mean, you but, don't you do visual diffing, and it yeah, doesn't. Yeah, like things like that, right? And um, it's interesting though because on GitHub.com, they're like very clear that like, hey, any file over like hundred megs is going to be rough. Right. And so they're talking about text files, which don't usually get that large. That's a massive. Right. That's a huge sketch file, too, though. (laughs) No. no, 100 megs in a sketch file? No. These people are insane. Dude. My archive file has 100 megs in it, but that was like it. No, we're seeing like six, seven, eight, 1.2. I hate designers. I quit. Like, (laughs) I'm out. Y'all need to split your files up. Come on. No, but this is actually, this is is an interesting thing. We're, We're in like. And a weird moment, especially so I'll, I'll just say for those designing in sketch today, mm-hmm. we are in an awesome and terrible moment, which is we had symbols granted to us, which totally transformed the way that you can work in sketch. Yep. Mm-hmm. The problem is you have to put everything in the same file in order to use those symbols. That's right. So ah. files over the last two years have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And the more you take advantage of all that symbols can offer you the more you want to use them. Oh, Therefore, shit. You're going to have to support shared symbols. That's going to be We're already working town. on it. We're already working on it. That sounds brutal. Uh, so shared <laughs> symbols is where I was headed. Sketch is working yep. on this. They've been working on it. Um, I genuinely think this is going to actually like be a transformative moment in mm-hmm. design again. I, for another, organizations specifically, right? It's massive. And what it means is... The take gonna, we saw at Figma was like insane as yeah, soon as we released that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, 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 it's the, huge for everyone. If you believe that a component-driven... Uh, way to design is the right thing to do, yep. then this is going to be like a yep. godsend. I mean, uh, as design systems has become more and more popular, as composition generally as like a concept or like for design rather than like drawing from scratch, like hell yeah. Well, and if you're looking to actually like organize and and uh, systematize your design process, and if you're looking to ensure some level of visual consistency, you have to adopt this way any significant distribution is impossible on a design system without something like this when i when i left twitter we were 50 designers and we were desperately trying to find ways to address this and over the last four i guess four years since i left they um they've done numbers of different iterations Mm -hmm. on this talk to any of the folks at like large large companies and this design system uh consistency is always and constantly an issue and it's something that um i think uh, Pinterest has someone on staff. They may have changed this, but when we were interviewing early on mm-hmm. doing research, there was one person whose job was pixel librarian. Yeah. Like their job was to ensure that all these things ended up in one place that mm-hmm. people could, you know, reference and use. I think Airbnb has a few and they have like this really complex system yeah. to to share it and disperse and like keep it up to date. I think Facebook has a huge thing too. Like, yep. okay. Crazy. So these are big company problems. No, they're, they are problems, period. <laughs> they pay. are exponentially worse the larger your team gets and the That's larger your company gets. That's a good way to phrase gets. it. It's, I mean, it's really, it's not linear at all. That's, it's Metcalf's law, right? Like yeah. in a big way. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyways, we were talking about something. The, we were, no, I was trying <laughs> to talk libraries. about, I was generally trying to talk about like designing a release. Like a release oh. is a really hard thing to do. Wait, so to bring it all the way back. Yeah. Good yeah, job. Yeah. Um, this guy's a pro. He is a pro. So <laughs> I will finish by saying shared libraries from sketch is probably going to be a watershed moment where we go from one mat, you know, one huge file containing mm-hmm. everything under the sun because we have to, if mm-hmm. we're using symbols to being able to break things back up and have like, so our main Mac app design file has probably 20 plus pages and hundreds and hundreds of artboards. Yeah. And I would expect that once we have shared libraries, we'll have our, our shared library file, and then we will have a, a file per uh, page, more mm-hmm. or less, um, which means that performance in sketch will be way faster. Performance mm-hmm. in abstract will be faster. Um, you, you're decoupling the, the shared objects from the, rent, the like, yep. composition uh, area. And I think that's going to – unfortunately, it's going to mean a lot of work for a lot of teams mm-hmm. for a couple of months once that rolls out. But I think the future after that should be just like – yeah. So much easier. In the back of my head, maybe this is a really shitty user experience, but I'm thinking like the equivalent of a package.json for components, like import style guide version 2.0.x or whatever. It's almost, it's almost like you've been thinking about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, then you can just extract the individual components. Like 
Right. Uh, <laughs> get the header from this design system. Absolutely. And, and it just lives on some separate repo. You don't really care about it, but you import it. And then, I mean, like NPM. Exactly. <laughs> NPM for like design, design package manager. No, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. So um, I, if you want to, I will wade into that very quickly. Shared yeah. libraries is basically that concept. That, yeah. um, I think where it gets really interesting is looking toward the future and imagining a world where I can, as I'm in sketch designing, I can basically go in and I don't know where I go into, but I go into something and I say, oh, I'd like to install Brian's icon pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Dude, design package and, manager would be the coolest thing. And it thing. literally DPM. adds it yeah. as like a new shared file right. in my library. And I now have access to this thing. So think about some of the folks that have made these incredible icon packs out there and given them away, mm-hmm. open source. Um Having a way to access that immediately and just like have it brought into your project is something that we are thinking about and I think could be really, really fun uh, going forward. Uh, I wonder what that would do. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people have talked about this and we've thought about this, but what does it look like for design to be more in air quotes open source? Like, in I think it looks a lot like GitHub's open source uh, model in abstract. I don't know who would use that except for like material design iOS, like, so right now like, you're centralized around individual companies. Is there correct. like a central hub, like system in place? Uh, there isn't yet, okay. but it's definitely something we've thought about. The first priority for us was solving this for teams. Got it. Um, the open source part of it is super interesting, and we yeah. we deeply believe that there's a lot that we can do to mm-hmm. enable that. But well, we also know that that's a like secondary goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and beyond well, beyond sketch it like at some point, right? So, which becomes exponentially harder to solve for every platform at a time. Yep. Yeah. It is exponentially harder. But, (laughs) you know, the long-term goal is to be able to support as many visual design files as we possibly can. Um, And as we start making our way through more and more of them, I think we're going to be able to see patterns emerge and hopefully be able to get to the point where we can actually engage with these companies and say, hey, here's here's the best practice for how to integrate with Abstract. We can do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. If you're able to do A, B, and C, then like you know, rock and roll, everybody's going to be happy. And we're in process talking with a few different companies. Uh, and I have, you know, fingers crossed and high hopes that uh, over time we'll be able to support more and more and more formats. Well, so going back to the open source thing, what I'm wondering is what would designers put into the, op- in this like hypothetical open source world besides icons and I mean, like full-blown style kits. Yeah, like, yeah, like design, style iOS kits. 10 UI kits, like uh, iOS 11. But I whatever. feel like it would only be platform iOS, or uh, uh, UI kits, right? Like material. I mean, there's iOS. there's themes that come out all the time from people like Envision. Yep. Like for web. Yeah, I mean, does for, anyone use those? I actually in production? Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, a as bootstrap? a starting point, if it means yeah, it's kind yeah, of like, yeah, yeah. Get, I get it. It's a big question mark, though. It, yeah, it I, really is. Yeah, like, I run out of ideas past that, though. Yeah. Uh, well, what if you could like download MDS's float label thing just as a, a tiny like package? That'd be kind of cool. I, I think the more interesting bit is opening that up and enabling it so that it can mm-hmm. happen. And then you start seeing people do all kinds of crazy shit, yeah. right? Okay. Uh, like if, if you look at how open source works, it's more often very small functional things than large like full scale themes and things like that. Yeah, I think the more interesting thing to me there is the collaborative nature of it because I remember when all the the UI kits were coming out last year and you were mm-hmm. still Figma you would download them find all these just like I mean there were small inconsistencies right, right. like these things are off but you not fix them you, the, yeah you fix, <laughs> you fix them yourself and it would be amazing if you could just like publish that to every single human's computer that had downloaded that in the past right, right? or submit yes. a pull request yeah, back pull request. to the right, right, original exactly, author exactly. and say hey I, I found fixed, these six things fixed, yeah. fixed them for you yeah. can you merge this right mm-hmm. and that to us is like the thing that we're interested in is mm-hmm. enabling that kind of thing because then you may end up even getting people starting to remix stuff and like hey I took your UI kit and I did this Fork this it. and this yeah. with it hey I did an unsolicited right? redesign of your UI kit <laughs> oh, it now has shadows and gradients <laughs> I made all your avatar circles. There's there's people that would be so thankful so for that. Stoked. So thankful. Oh, those circle avatars. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. So Twitter just recently came out with an update. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm not done with the release thing yet. God damn it. Okay. It always yeah, comes back to circle no, avatars. No, I know, I know. I actually have more questions about other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> uh, one of the other questions I have is when does it become good enough for a full-on launch? What What defines that for you? 
For us, there's uh, a level of scalability and performance mm-hmm. that we have set internally, and we're marching mm-hmm. uh, quickly towards that. Um, as I mentioned, there's a couple other features that I think are really, really important, um, and getting those in and making sure that the whole workflow is really, really tight, mm-hmm. and it is as robust and bulletproof as we can make it. Um, that said, I'm really hopeful. I'm not going to put a date out there, but mm-hmm. I think that we, I don't think we're going to be a Gmail beta, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like 10 years uh, or whatever. I'm hopeful that in the next six to nine months, we mm-hmm. potentially could be uh, having our 1.0 and be out there with a full GA. Um, but at the same time, we did that because it's software. You know, mm-hmm. we're constantly yep. developing and refining and iterating. And uh, it, it seemed it seemed like the right thing to do mm-hmm. as well. Um be as transparent as we can about where we're at and where we're going. Yeah. It looked looked like you had a huge launch on Product Hunt too. Did you do any press around it? We did very little press around it. We had one fantastic post uh, on TechCrunch and really kind of just setting the vision high level Mm -hmm. and more, I think it was more for folks that might not really be too familiar with design and even version control for Mm -hmm. design um, and kind of giving them the high level picture of like, why is this important and what does it mean for our company? Uh, which was great, but the product hunt stuff was just way better than we could have anticipated. And uh, we're super th- super thankful for everybody out there who upvoted. So kudos, <laughs> Yay. you guys rock. Um, it, it was great, like able to answer some questions on there and then watching people on Twitter just start talking back and forth to each other is I think one of the things that we were most excited about. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, cool. This is like, there's people answering each other's questions yep. and uh, like, that's a, that's a pretty awesome moment. Yeah. Y'all popped up to top 10 on spectrum too. Oh, <laughs> that. So we, we had a great launch. I, um, I genuinely like it was crazy leading up to it, but even then it was definitely not the craziest launch that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. Like I went home at like 12, 15, so and I was the last one in the office. Like that's not bad. No, it's not that's, bad That's a all. pretty good launch. I know dude. Uh, and so, you know, we were, well, to be fair, we were all back in the office at like 530. <laughs> so, um, okay. but I've done many launches where I never went home yeah. and didn't sleep. Yeah. Um, and so it again aligns with the philosophy that we have, which is like, Hey, we're all grown ups. Let's be grown ups. Let's mm-hmm. be, take responsibility for what we need to get done. And then let's go home as soon as we can, you know, like turns out you end up having healthier, happier people if you operate that way. <laughs> So one last question, because I think releases are particularly interesting because no one really considers them like before they get to a company where they have to do a serious, serious release. Everything is like tiny. Uh, how do you signify to users when 1.0 is ready? Like what, what gets users excited about that beyond just like consistency and performance? Do you do like a big feature release, which introduces new inconsistencies or like how do you, how do you balance that? So um, I think... That's a really great question. Um, I've thought about it a little bit. I do not have a plan already totally mapped out. Um, But one of the things that we want to do is with a couple of these features that um, I've been alluding to, we definitely will probably alpha test them, Mm -hmm. essentially roll them out to a small subset of teams. um, Feature flags kind of thing. Basically, um, small, medium, and large size companies. That way we can gauge, you know, uh, looking for bugs, looking for... um, anything that comes up at different scales and be able to use that as a way to make sure it is really battle tested and ready Mm -hmm. to roll. And it's very probable that the 1.0 includes one or more of these type of like large features. Mm -hmm. Um, It also is entirely possible that like, it's not some giant fanfare and it's like one day there's a beta label and one day there's not a beta label. Um, That's one of the like weird things you see is like people do, uh, press for beta and then not for release. And it's like, right. well, it, I didn't know it was ready. <laughs> Ideally, we would go out because yeah. I think the opportunity that you're pointing out is that, um, you know, if somebody had tried it and said, ah, it's still beta, mm-hmm. like we don't use beta software at our company or, yeah. or whatever, right? Like you want to make sure that the word gets out and that you let people know why it is what it is, mm-hmm. right? So why is it beta? Well, because everything I just explained. Why is it no longer beta? Okay, well, we did this, this, and this, yeah, and yeah. this is why. Um, and so I'm sure we'll have some sort of release. Um, I don't know how big or small, mm-hmm. uh, to be totally candid. And we'll, you know, we'll just keep marching towards it. At the end of the day, it's about making sure that the software is as user-friendly and as robust mm-hmm. and stable as it possibly can be so people can get on with doing their job. Like, 
that's the goal. The goal is not for you to be like spending all your time thinking about abstract. The goal <laughs> is to like remove a bunch of the friction and let you do the job that you were hired to do. Daily minutes in app. Core metric. So <laughs> definitely, this is a very interesting thing to bring up, uh, given that you spend a lot of time at Twitter. Let's should we go back? I have one more question. Ooh. Well, maybe a little, few more questions about abstract. Uh, what's the hardest part of your job? You're the CEO, right? Yep. Hardest part of my job. Hmm. Possibly context switching, because I do it literally. 75,000 times a day. Uh-huh. It's, it is just so decision fatigue. And you don't exaggerate either. I'm, I exaggerate all the fucking time. <laughs> well, that's um, a good way to get decisions made. Is like just <laughs> exaggerate them to the point where it's obvious. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, genuinely, I think, I think having to do that, mm-hmm. like, constant, and especially when you're in crunch mode, like, that definitely um, decision fatigue is, a, at least for me, mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, this is a real thing. Like, my brain is just tapped. Um, and I've, I'm very thankful, um, a couple of years ago introduced meditation into my kind of daily ritual and about a year ago made it like every morning up. That's the first thing I do. Like, do not touch the phone, <laughs> do not make coffee. Don't, you know, like go and just get your brain quiet, get centered, just gives you a little bit more space and a little bit more flexibility, uh, to be able to adapt to your day and, the day in and day out routine is like constant, like you got a 30 minute phone call and then you've got a product meeting and then Mm -hmm. you need to respond to 17 emails and then you need to uh, run payroll. And then, you know, and you're just like, boom, 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 boom. And I think the really awesome part of my job is that I have been super fortunate to be able to work with some incredible people. And um, like the team that we have is some of the best humans uh, that I've ever gotten to work with. And we've really, I think, over-indexed on making sure that we have good people because we spend a tremendous amount of time together. Um, and I think if there's another like hard thing in the job, it's going to always be prioritization because mm-hmm. I want to do yep. everything yep. now. Do you have a framework to, to work through that? Uh, the back of my hand. Okay. No, um, I, 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 I definitely have- <laughs> Smack it. people around. Nope. No, 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 no. I was thinking more like look at my hand and just try and like make sense of it um, and take a guess. No, Uh, we definitely have goals that we put in place uh, operating off of like high level company goals and what we know that the product needs to do and being able to actually set some priorities for the company has been super, super valuable, um, I think, for everyone on the team. But Mm -hmm. also for me, uh, it makes it a lot easier to be like, I really want to do X. But X maps to like the number four priority in the company right now. Okay. It's not as important as these three other things that map to number one and number two. But it sounds so fun to do number four. I know. Uh, Which means you have to figure out ways to carve out little bits of space to make some progress. And so I feel like we're getting better at being able to do uh, some things in parallel, but not expecting them to all be happening at the same amount of uh, effort, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So Mm -hmm. if there's the number four priority, right, and you can make 10% progress this week on that, awesome. If it means that we can't make any progress on that until one, two, and three are done. So be it. So be it. And me as the CEO, I will just be quiet and I'll stop like harassing (laughs) Kevin about it. (laughs) But seriously, (laughs) Kevin, what are you doing, man? No, no. (laughs) Number four is there. No, he knows. He knows. Number four (laughs) might just be really fun. Like Sometimes it's really fun. And then sometimes it's like a total pipe dream and it's like 10x the amount of work that you think it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's always those pieces. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay. No, that's a great answer. Uh, When you say you hire good people, what does good mean? mm, Wow. Great great clarifying question. Uh, Good is such a subjective term. I know. That's why Uh, I want to (laughs) know. So when we use the term good people, um, I use the term good human a lot. Like there's some uh, decency and empathy and integrity in their character, in who they are as a human being. Like take the job and the work out of it. Like as a human being, do they demonstrate um, qualities of caring and um, genuine interest and, like I said, integrity, right? Those are huge, huge qualities uh, that impact how we interact with one another as human beings. Because then you layer on top of it all of the stuff that goes into working together, right? And trying to communicate and 
I say one word and you say the same word and they mean two totally different things, right? And, and having people that want to find where that middle is and be like, we have this phrase in our company. Can you say more? And it basically means... We say say more words. Yeah, princess, yeah, say, say more, more words. words. Actually, yeah. it's, it's can you say more or say more words? Those, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, same uh, same concept, uh-huh. right? And the idea is that like, I I feel like I got you, but I'm not totally sure. Yeah. And the last thing I want to do right now is assume that I got what you mean. Yeah, arguing with assumptions right? is brutal to team like. And we identified it really yeah. early on. It was like, great, we're all humans. We have biases. We have assumptions left and right. And- the more we can put them out on the table and like discuss them and be semi dispassionate about mm-hmm. it, um, or at least being dispassionate is a whole other thing. That's really tough. I said you noticed I qualified <laughs> trying, yeah, yeah. Um, trying. <laughs> trying to be semi dispassionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Double qualification. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, I mean, I'm. If you asked anybody, I'm a pretty passionate person. I uh, and I have to be very careful with that because a, I get excited, mm-hmm. and b, it doesn't mean that that excitement means it's right. It just means I'm excited about it. Um, but being in the position that I'm in, yeah, you gotta be careful. Um, and so constantly trying to, uh, make sure that people are treating each other with kindness and respect, making sure that we are enabling and empowering the team to make decisions and be responsible, um, I think is how you build a healthy environment. And so, uh, we definitely have a no assholes policy. So, that's worked out really, really well. Um, I have had that kind of as a checkbox as long as I can remember if I've been involved in and responsible for hiring. Um, if somebody comes across like they might be an asshole or if they actually really genuinely are demonstrating like, oh, my God, you think that you are better it's, than It's everyone. interesting that designers sometimes do that. Like they, they kind of are like, well, it's my job to be like displeased with everything. It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what that is. Say more words. Yeah, I mean, well, it's a, it's a, it's a touchy subject. I think designers tend to be super observant, and so they tend to notice things that are wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more than they notice the things that are right. I've been in that position. I've definitely had to work to not always be the one being like, well, that won't work and that won't work and that won't work and that won't work. Oh, but what about the seven other things that it actually innate? Oh, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, that, but putting that from a constructive perspective like means a huge deal in terms of like how it's in- interpreted. It's right. not just like complaining and like saying other people's work is crap. And Yeah. Uh, there's, I, and I'm going to totally butcher it. Um, because I'm blanking right now. Is it a great quote Jane? by Abraham Lincoln? Oh. oh, man. Did you? That would have been clutch. Uh, no, it wasn't Abraham in. Lincoln, but uh, James Murphy. Okay. Um, I think. So if it wasn't you, James, I apologize. Um, said the best way to complain is to make. Mm-hmm. And like, I've always thought that that's a really great frame of reference for that. Because if you do something about it, it's much less complainy, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're actually taking some proactive measure to not only identify the thing that's not working, but then come with a solution. And I think that designers that inherently operate that way are way more successful um, as designers, but also as, you know, people in the business world and um, interacting with other people that you work with. It's Mm -hmm. also really hard to identify the actual source of the problem until you've like tested other solutions. Huh. It's like there's a thing there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I sorry, I have No, no. I have a little PTSD on that one. The the uh especially at Twitter, I think it was phenomenally interesting anytime anyone would come in and just be like, "Well, why don't you just do X?" And Tell me like, more. Oh, well. Especially with Twitter, you're going to exactly. get like people oh. tweeting at you about like why you did everything wrong, which was a blessing and a curse. Right? Like yeah. it was amazing because we did anything at all. We immediately had feedback. Mm-hmm. Public. Yeah. feedback yeah. and it was great um i actually <laughs> i actually really genuinely appreciated that um it was very hard to like have a uh i think constructive conversation on twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> go figure um but about those things because we couldn't divulge like the constraints and the business priorities and the things that went into any single decision we couldn't go talk about that publicly and so we kind of had to be like uh-huh Thanks for your feedback. Yep. You know, and just kind of like take it. Um, Whereas many times I would have loved to sit down with someone and been like, okay, so do you want to know why this happened? 
and then just break the whole entire thing down for them so that they could understand that like there's no decision that went on in that product that didn't have i don't know dozens of constraints and inputs from other parts of the organization there was always technical constraints there was business implications there was uh internally to the company there were political <laughs> uh impact you know uh constraints Which sucks. if you will um there're all of those things and so uh designing anything at scale that like a mass of humans use is going to be a like very touchy very challenging thing and I still to this day is one of the biggest privileges that I've had in my career is to be able to have my hands on something like that at that scale. Uh not easy, not by a long shot. Um and the early Facebook team, like huge shout out to those guys cuz they dealt with it at double triple, you know, the scale that we were dealing with it and I like commend those guys in a big way. What'd you work on at Twitter? Uh jeez. Uh everything? Not technically everything. Um what how early were you there? I joined in 2010 uh and I was there for 3 years. In the time I was there, I think we went from like somewhere in the 200s of employees to over 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh design team went from 5 to 50. Uh we went from two researchers to a whole entire dedicated research team. Yeah. It was it was wild. Like I've literally never experienced anything like that. Um and actually that kind of scale and growth is something that, um, as a blessing and a curse, like I think yeah. I learned more of what I don't want to do, um, especially in the last year I was there. Uh, like what? Oh, just I, okay. I don't want to. So super practical. I do not want to scale abstract uh, like crazy. Like I don't want to go. I don't want to have fifty employees in six months. Right. Like that kind of like exponential growth uh-huh. internally to your company uh, puts pressures that in some cases are totally unnecessary. Um, and often insurmountable. Just, like, you, you end up managing like it's instead just of humans, yeah. right? Like yeah. you end up dealing the amount of kind of like organizational kind of churn that was happening um, meant that a lot of the product type of stuff ended up suffering. Um, and I, you know, casting no blame because I don't know how you do it better. Like I actually now, in retrospect, I have so much respect for the leadership team that was trying to keep the like panels on the rocket ship, right? Yeah. They're literally like outside the ship, screwing it on themselves, trying to make sure that it didn't blow up. Um, in Internally, while it was happening, a lot harder to see that mm-hmm. and really easy to be critical. Um, and I'm really thankful that um, I, I had a great opportunity to work with some of the uh, senior folks at the company and work closely with them and see that like they were genuinely – trying to do their best. Yeah. And it's just hard. It's just genuinely hard when mm-hmm. you're adding hundreds of people to your company every week. Like, what does that do? How do you scale that? How mm-hmm. do you put appropriate management practices in place? Do you have leadership training? If you don't, how quickly can you get it there? You know, and mm-hmm. just like the amount of things that I think back and like realize that Dick was having to like yeah. juggle and cover as that thing just went, Wah! I'm like, like that poor man like, <laughs> and, and he did an awesome job. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have wanted it. I wouldn't want that job. Holy shit. Like that, that's some next level stress for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and unfortunately during the time I was there, so three years, we had two CEOs, we had three heads of engineering and we had four heads of product. Like, that, that that's hard, right? Yeah. On any organization to have that kind of uh, turnover at those levels yep. uh, means that just everything slows down. Mm-hmm. And so it was it, organizationally, it's an incredible challenge to scale a company like that. What about from the product side? Uh, it's impacted by all those things. So you have a product initiative that's underway under the direction of person A. Person A is no longer in the company. Person B is now here. Person B doesn't like what person A wanted to do and doesn't agree with that. So that project's dead. Yeah. Um, all of the people that have been putting, you know, gnarly hours into building that and trying to ship it are suddenly now super demotivated. You got to try and somehow convince them to get back on the horse, right? Like, and that just happened every time we had a turnover at that level. And unfortunately, 
a lot of folks, when they come in, they kind of need to pee on everything, right? Mark their territory. <laughs> and so... That's a way to put it. You know, well, it's maybe not the most polite, but... Um, <laughs> Being one of the fire hydrants, it's uh, it definitely <laughs> felt like that yeah. sometimes. And and honest to God, no blame. It's human nature. You're taking over something, and you want to make sure that now it reflects you and your like your vision and why you were brought in. Um, and so it just it ends up being uh, a grind on the product process. And so people have to then ramp up on all of the knowledge and understanding and all of the decisions that have made you know, been made up until that point in time, which it turns out a lot of decisions are never captured ever surprise. (laughs) Uh, It's part of why I am so thankful that we built abstract was as a designer, most decisions are never written down, right? Mm -hmm. Like there might be a Jira ticket somewhere or a GitHub issue that had like a very one sentence, like, Oh, the CEO said we should blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, well, what about the seven other meetings with the eight stakeholders? Mm -hmm. And like, where is that record? Right. And so how do you even keep track of that many decisions? Like if once they're documented, like that seems. Well, hey, I would take that problem over not having them any day of the week. Um, Totally. Why did we do this is a question that gets asked a lot for sure. And then you walk, uh, you know, designer leaves the company. Right. Okay. Institutional knowledge gone. Institutional knowledge literally walked out the door. Uh, when I was leaving, I knew that I was taking with me a pretty decent chunk of information. Um, and I spent probably the last month making sure that I sat down with as many people as I could and like just shared stuff, you know, like, mm. oh, there's this one meeting one time, you know, and just kind of trying to give people context and backstory, um, especially with stuff relating to the tweets and the timeline and like why we were where we were and what decisions we made, what ones we almost made, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I knew when I walked out the door, whatever was in my head was leaving with me. Um, Cause there's no real, real record. Like, sure. You've got Photoshop files, you know, if you can find them, um, but you have no idea why, <laughs> why did this person, I mean, do an, this an thing? internal Twitter seems like a perfect solution to this. <laughs> Uh, well, we ended up actually um, standardizing on subversion, and then we built this little um, – we hacked the shit out of WordPress effectively. And I convi- as one does. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> uh, convinced an engineer uh, to help build a menu bar app. And so basically, we kind of built a weird prototype for abstract while I was there um, where you do work, commit it to subversion – immediately export all the screenshots and then drag them into this menu bar app, which created a post for you automatically, which had a title and description. Mm-hmm. I don't Whoa. know. Sounds like a commit to me. <laughs> pretty neat. Um, and actually that was a pretty sizable leap forward for us. Um, product managers, engineers had access to this thing. The company could actually just look at the timeline of work that was happening. And so in a lot of ways we were trying to take steps towards addressing mm-hmm. this by building some of that stuff internally ourselves. Were you at Twitter when Egypt happened? That was in tw- yeah, that was yeah, twenty eleven. I want to say, yeah, Egypt, the Arab summer or whatever. Yep, uh, that definitely Arab Spring, was, was wild. Called? Arab Spring, uh, the Japan earthquake. Mm-hmm. Those were like real heavy moments. What um, did that do to the? team or the company internally for you? Uh, So for the company and team, I would say that I think it galvanized people even more. So I will say this. I think a lot of people came to work at Twitter because they believed in the enabling of free speech that Twitter provided globally, especially in places where it was being repressed and in some ways just totally shut down. Um, And so to be a part of building something that allowed people, other humans halfway around the world to speak up um, and protest the atrocities that were happening. It was heavy um, and really deeply galvanizing in that, like, we're here, we have a mission, right? Like it made it bigger than just building a tech company, right? It was very missional in nature. Um, I think from the beginning, Ev and Biz and Jack also like had that as part of the DNA. And so like, you know, moments like that would really amplify that DNA, if you will. Um, for me personally, it was a, it was really kind of intense to witness these things happening and you're getting like first person accounts. And so just as a human, 
it it was moving it was confronting um it well you didn't have to but it made me pay attention in a way that like the nightly news never never would um it also for me underscored the responsibility that we had as a company um which was if i'm totally honest was kind of terrifying uh because we had built a technology that allowed anyone in the world to create an account and immediately broadcast and publish basically what they were thinking, what they were seeing and their view on the world. Fast forward to today, we know that uh, that's not maybe always the most beneficial mm-hmm. thing. Um, it also is really, really hard to have thoughtful conversation and discourse in 140 characters, mm-hmm. which means everything gets compressed into a soundbite. And then you're so, arguing with and, assumptions. Right. And then it's almost nothing but, right? It's yep. just... So uh, th- this is like exactly what I'm interested in is you have, when you're designing for everybody, you're enabling the small person who's never had their voice heard ever to have a platform for that. And you're enabling bots, the opposite of that. Correct. To rally bots. That's, um, <laughs> to rally bots. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then everything in between, obviously, compounded with these truly... Uh, I doesn't seem like they're technical. It seems like their product is uh, constraints, right? The 140 characters, right. the way the timeline works. Right. Uh, and all those things. And unfortunately... Well, 140 like, was originally a technical... Yeah, yeah technical originally, originally. Originally. And, and at, at some point, it was like, yes, it's no longer a technical constraint, but it's actually a product constraint mm-hmm. that made tr- Twitter truly unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But then when does that conflict with the social responsibility to provide discourse Correct. for the planet? Yeah. And, and I wish I had an answer. <clears throat> Tell me. <laughs> you didn't uh, solve this while you were there? No. What's up? There's still 140 characters. <laughs> no wonder. Uh, there are, I mean, there are a lot of, there are a lot of decisions that were made that had tacit support. <laughs> Meaning you weren't totally in agreement, but you also weren't willing to literally like take a stand and lose your job. Um, someone that uh, is a good friend once told me you probably get one, maybe two things that you're willing to die on the hill for. Mm-hmm. If you want to go die on the hill for every feature you work on, you're going to be fired. You literally will not have a job and you won't have the opportunity when it comes down to that moment where like, it really is a make or break moment. You've spent all of your, you know, cash if you will like you're dead on the hill you're gone (laughs) you're gone you didn't even make it to the hill right like um and so i took that pretty seriously because there was a lot of things that i was like we should never do x and it was like well okay i can i can make an argument for why we shouldn't do x but i can also make a rational counter argument okay so then that means i probably need to take a step back and like let's figure out where the middle is um i felt like that was a lot (laughs) a lot of the time was there anything you'd died on the hill for so to speak <laughs> i imagine some of these can't be talked about no i um i so I'll i didn't pull until you tell no, me to no, stop no. so i didn't i didn't die on the hill for this um and i've actually publicly talked about this so i i feel okay about this um after i left twitter it it took me i don't know probably almost a year before i could like talk about twitter and not get triggered um, there were just so many things. Um, I genuinely think that like PTSD in startups is legit and real. And I, if there's any therapists out there that are listening to this, you probably would have a land untapped, like market, just baby. massive <laughs> untapped market. You should probably open your doors immediately. Um, actually that's not true. You need to go th- live through one first. <laughs> Um, and then maybe you could, uh, jump in and help. But anyways, I think for me, one of the hardest things I left Twitter for two big reasons. One, I really wanted to start, uh, Habitat, which was this, uh, kind of product studio incubator ish idea that I had that was really aimed at like, how do we enable more senior talented designers and engineers to be able to make that leap into taking, you know, being an entrepreneur and trying to build something of their own. A lot of these folks are kind of stuck in a golden handcuff kind of situation, compounded by probably children and a mortgage, um, which means that 
some people that are motivated to solve some kind of hairy problems are kind of trapped, if you will. Now, there's a lot behind that, and we could probably spend hours just talking about that. Just don't but, have kids or get a house. It's fine. So I had kids, <laughs> I had kids and no house, um, and I was talking to probably three to five people that I knew weekly that were asking me the same thing. Like either they didn't have a connection to the like uh, like a co-founder type of person, so an engineer looking for a designer, designer looking for an engineering co-founder. Didn't know about raising capital. Didn't you know the, all these? No uh, one knows about raising capital. Even the people who do it, it's crazy town. <laughs> it's all smoke and mirrors. That's the that's the mirrors. one thing I've learned in doing it is it's insane. I I don't know if I would label it insane, but it's it's a uh, it's a very interesting complex uh, organism. And e- everyone you talk to is like. Just know, I don't know anything more than you do. It's like, what? <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. That's terrifying. Um, okay, so Habitat so I, was the first. I, I left because I really, like, I wanted to do that. I wanted to do it more than I'd wanted to do a lot of things ever. And so that was pulling in a big way. Um, the other piece of it that kind of was the tipping point was um, there was a meeting that I was in where some folks came in and presented this data that they'd been looking into, which was that people were, you know, hitting the top of their timeline and pulling to refresh because there wasn't new content. Mm -hmm. And they were doing it like five, six, seven times in a row. And I'm like, beep, 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 beep. All my warning signals, just like danger, abort, right? Like this is behavior that we should not be incentivizing. Give me crack. it It is an addiction, straight up. And these folks were saying, oh my God, you guys, look at this opportunity. We can serve them adjacent content. We can show them stuff from Discover. We could serve them ads. And I was like, no, That's what they want is ads. No, we should tell them pull to put- Pull for ads. Yeah, pull for ads. <laughs> no, nobody ever wanted that. Um, but I was like, no, we should tell them to put their fucking phone down and go outside. Like we're incentivizing behavior that we don't understand the implications of. And- Ironically, or not ironically, maybe unsurprisingly, I was the lone dissenter in the room. And it became very clear to me that, like, I was in a very tiny minority that was concerned about what we were doing and concerned about what behaviors we were enabling and amplifying, honestly. And that's the interesting bit. It's not just the enabling, it's the amplification of those behaviors. And that's where the talk that I've given a couple of times called We Are Responsible. Um, I first gave that at Mind the Product uh, a couple of years ago. And it took me a while to write that talk because it was really scary to talk about and acknowledge and admit that, like, it was really hard to do my job sometimes. That, like, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people were using something that I and others had gone and made decisions and designed to behave in a certain way. And I felt responsible. And is it my responsibility? No, not mine alone. Is it collectively ours? Absolutely. And it's why building software is really a kind of interesting but scary thing because we're constantly inventing the future and we don't know what that's going to mean good, bad, and ugly. We don't know what these behaviors are going to do when they've had two, three, four, five years to live and grow and play out. And you look at the, you know, you look at the political landscape leading up to the election. You look at everything that went down on there. You look at the fact that we have a president who thinks that he's still a reality TV star, tweeting like he's a reality TV star, but he's the fucking president. Sorry, I shouldn't, I went the one place I oh, said I wasn't going to go. Danger zone. Damn it. Anyways, Twitter enabled it 100%. Could they blocked him or shut it down or done all kinds of stuff? Probably. Uh, and I won't, I have no information. This sure. is me yeah, purely yeah. speculating, but like pretty sure it was good business. Yeah, of course. Pretty it was. damn sure it I was mean, really good business. And so therein lies an Ever Depot rub, which is if you're building software that relies on advertising. You want you to scale everything. Like from the beginning. Yes. And to anyone building stuff that's based on advertising, I'm not slamming you. And I hope you hear this with the, um, the real intention that I have, which is to just have us all take a hard look at what we're doing and the things that incentivize uh, 
the way people behave and the way that they operate. Um, I also think that the fact that we live in this kind of digital reality as well, where it's easy to, you don't see these people. You don't physically sit down and have these conversations mm-hmm. with someone. You would behave totally differently, I think. Um, Especially when you're limited to 140 characters. Like, if I had, if you like, this would be a very me, short podcast. Be, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's that. Okay, you should do a podcast that's only like a podcast in 140 seconds, and yeah. have it read by Siri. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> be rough. Um, <laughs> anyways, we can have different voices of Siri though, so it sounds like a conversation. <laughs> yes, sounds great. American English Siri and, and Australian the, Australian Siri. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, that's like those were some of the harder uh, pieces of, of being there and, and what I worked on, I still commend and applaud everybody that I know that's there and the work that they're doing, because I, I do believe that every one of those folks, um, the folks that I know, I can't speak for the thousands and thousands of people that work there, but um, do believe that they've built something that can be used for good and that can um, empower and enable free speech. Um, you look at like Black Lives Matter, and that type of uh, social justice that's essentially like this stuff was going on and has been going on for a very long time. It just was completely like hidden. And suddenly with some of these different tools and, and products that are out there and available today, uh, there's a level of accountability. And I think that that's amazing. And the more that we can do to... Um, there's certainly visibility. I wish there were more accountability. There's visibility, which hopefully <laughs> yeah. can lead to accountability. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say that our track record is trending that direction mm-hmm. unfortunately but it's it's a really crazy time to be alive and to be building software for sure on that note what on keeps you up note, at night what keeps me up at night uh, and do not say your children no yeah. they actually ever, sleep ever, pretty good. Goes <laughs> okay well so here's the deal my kids don't keep me up at night because they're pretty good sleepers like solid which kids. is awesome Train ruth well. and dylan you guys rock um we did, uh, they like they go to bed they don't usually complain my daughter reads for like an hour at night like nerd it's awesome <laughs> it's, it's the best man totally. dude she, she's she was in that's f- like ideal yeah, it is it's the best yeah. because she was in third grade and she blew through the entire harry potter series in six months I like, like, I like and it. i was like i'm not stopping you like read more here's some new stuff to read right like so kids don't keep us up um I would genuinely say that sometimes uh, thinking about my kids and their future and the world that we're handing them and what we've created that they have to grow up in, like, I think it's super hard to be a kid today. I think it's way more challenging. And I think you have more information. You have more stuff just blasted at you 24-7 that you need to process and respond to and have an opinion about and... And I think that that's really hard for young people when they're still developing. And so that keeps me up at night. Um, Sometimes uh, the business keeps me up at night. Um, What? We're only until like 1215. (laughs) (laughs) What aspects of it? Well, you know, there's just, I mean, you are running a business. You have employees. You have employees and their livelihoods depend on you and their families depend on decisions that are made. And you have... uh, a competitive market, like a crazy competitive market. And so you're trying to make sure that you're doing the right things and making the right decisions and make sure that your company can continue to operate and succeed. And um, so it's just, you know, it's basically processing, but I, I honestly could say that like, I, that does not happen um, as much as it probably could. And I think a lot of credit goes to my wife <laughs> Uh, and to some of the practices that I put in place in my own life. Um, I mentioned the meditation earlier. Um, before my, nobody on the podcast can see this, but I've got a giant like RoboCop leg brace on because mm-hmm. I fractured my tibia snowboarding earlier this year. Um, but I used to walk to work and home from work. It was about a 35 minute walk every, each way. That's great. Which is awesome, right? There's some exercise, there's some decompression. I tried not to have phone calls or anything during that time. It really just, allow my brain to just kind of take a break and yeah a lot of times i thought about stuff and other times i just put some music on and just walk right um and so like putting things in place to kind of counteract that stuff so um it's not as bad as i think it probably uh could be i like it that's a good place to be i think so 
and we're out of time. All right. Thanks for having me, you guys. Thanks, thanks for, for coming, coming on. on. Absolutely. Whoa, jinx. That was 208. If we did one episode a week, this would be four years of episodes. But we haven't done one episode so a week. So it's been two and a half. So it's been like two and a half years. Uh, if you made it this far, thanks for sticking with us. This was your first episode. Thanks for sticking with us. You made it this far. One whole episode. Congratulations. We're, we're proud of you. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know what you think. We're on Twitter, at Design Details FM. Our community is on Spectrum, spectrum.chat slash specfm. And we would love to, to hang out. we got a lot of designers and developers in there mm-hmm. talking about what's going on. We talk about the podcasts as well as what's happening There's in the There's a industry. whole Design Details channel where you can see every episode and have conversations around them. Uh, we can try and get the guests in there. We can do a lot of things around really like making that more of a conversation. Yeah, so go check out spectrum.chat. Otherwise, before we head chat. out... Dot chat. Otherwise, before we go, be sure to... Get a new job. <laughs> Go to Shopify.com slash careers. They are hiring designers, content strategists, researchers, and UX leads. Uh, they're growing an incredible org, over 180 folks so far uh, across all of their offices, and they want your help. They're doing awesome work, which you can see more of at ux.shopify.com. And when you're ready for your next role, that's at Shopify.com slash careers. Hit them up. They're an amazing team. You should join them. Thank you once again to Shopify for sponsoring the show, making it possible. We'll see you next week.